And uh, we talked about what the priest had to wear last time and uh, what Aaron and his four sons had to wear. And we had a picture up on there showing you kind of what all that was at. And we talked a little bit about that whole garb that he had to wear. But he was given that priestly garment to be set apart to do something for God. And we're going to learn how there was a function that God wanted to see happen so that Aaron could do the job of ministering unto God for the people of Israel. To be the one guy that was going to go into the Holy of Holies. To be the one guy who would then take the sacrifice that was given for the people, for the forgiveness of their sins, to be the one guy to take that into the Holy of Holies where the mercy seat was and spread the blood out so that God's presence would come and lap that up to forgive the people. To be the one guy who would do that one time a year. And then we talked about how Jesus was the one guy who came who was the perfect Lamb of God, like we sang just a few minutes ago, whose blood was shed for our sins so that we have a continual, like it said last chapter, a continual memorial, a continual perpetual statute, something that goes on and on and on and on, that we are forgiven every single day. Not just once a year. We've been forgiven once and for all. You get that? Some of us think that we have to, you know, do this ritual every week at church to be forgiven of our sins throughout the previous week. You know, I used to, I used to believe that. You know, I used to have to go to church on Saturday, go sit in a little box with no roof on it, and tell my sins to somebody, and then do a bunch of prayers go out and pray them on the bench to be forgiven so that on the next day I could go to church forgiven to learn what God had for me and to be able to take communion, the Lord's body, to connect with Him. Which for me was a little backwards. I know we're supposed to confess our sins before God. I'm going to do a little aside here this morning. To, to confess our sins before God so that we can then be saved. But it seemed backwards to me. Because when I look at people that got saved, they didn't confess per se. They just answered the Lord and whatever the Lord said about them, they agreed. Like the lady caught in adultery. He said, where are your accusers? You already knew the type of woman she was. You already knew what she had done. Because he because he had all the accusers were there telling Jesus what she had done. And he said, well, there none, none are here. He says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And we see that over and over and over and over again in the Bible, where forgiveness was given and offered by Jesus, but the person, the penitent, if you will, the one had to receive it. Then the sin was taken care of because you can't take care of your sin until the blood of Jesus covers it. Same thing with the priest here. We're going to find out. That until the blood actually gets on the altar, God can't forgive the people. 
a process need to happen. And so also with us, there's a process. So God is going to consecrate the Aaronic priesthood this morning. He actually is going to consecrate them to be set apart. Now this, this word consecrated means more than just being blessed. It means more than just having God say you're something different than what you really are. He's going to be consecrated for a purpose. He's going to be set apart for a purpose. In the case of Aaron and his sons, they were set apart to minister at the tabernacle, which we have been talking about for weeks now, to do the things that all those elements in the tabernacle represented for him to, to go in and to keep the connection between the people of God and God himself, to get the statutes of God and the people's response to those statutes. He was the connector for. So he's now being set apart to do that, to learn and to do God's perfect will. And he gives a process for them to do that. And the process has to be exactly the way God says it. Now I know for us, we all got saved differently, right? Or did we? What saved you? The blood of Jesus saves us, right? All those who would call upon his name. The name of Jesus saves you. Now the name encompasses all that he did for you. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. His blood was spilled. And you accepted that he rose again from the dead. So all this process, who Jesus is, in, when you say the name of Jesus, it means the totalitarian, totality of his life you believe in that and so then he saved you for those who believe even in his name he granted them to have what eternal life so therefore we have been saved we have been forgiven we have been set free all of us have to do that the same way there's only one way to god jesus said I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, he said. So there's only one way. How many times have you heard people, I just heard this the other day, oh, there's all kinds of ways to God. No. There's all kinds of ways to get to the point of salvation. I do agree that. There's all kinds of ways to get to the point where you have to realize you need God. Some people have gone through uh, turmoil in their heart. Some people have found the emptiness of life. Some people have done it through drug addiction or any kind of other addiction. Some people have found it through be just being lonely. Some others have found it through joy. Some others have found it through nature. Some, everybody, this funnel to get to God is wide. Because God uses all things to get us to come to know Him. It says even the rocks will cry out that Jesus is Lord. So God will use all kinds of methods to get you to the point of Jesus. But you, gotta, you won't actually get through to God until you do something with Jesus. So there's really only one way to God. And so here we find in this consecration ceremony that we're going to read about, that in the same way here at Joy, we have to understand that God has set us apart 
for a reason. Each and every one of you. If you're born again, if you have dealt with Jesus, if you have accepted him into your heart and into your life, you have been set apart to do. It's one thing to have Aaron and his sons come before and wear all this garb and whatever, and then they just kind of stand there in front of the temple for the rest of their lives. They don't go in. They don't do anything. They just stand there. Look, we're dressed. Dressed for what? Dressed. You know, you ladies, when you're going to go out or go somewhere nice or you're going to an event or whatever, you dress for the event. Guys, when we go do a sporting thing or we're going to go, we dress for the event. You know? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard stories where, you know, Eddie gets invited to a baseball game, (laughs) an angel game, and he wears his Dodger blues. He gets dressed for the event. (laughs) So we need to understand that we also... Matthew 28, 19, verse verse 19 and 20 say this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. We have been set apart for a purpose. Now let's talk about this set-apartness. Let's start in, bless you, 29, starting in verse 1. Because there's four requirements that God is going to put upon Aaron that I believe that are part of our requirements as well. It's not just for Aaron. Because we are all ministers of the kingdom. So starting in verse 1. He says, Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, to minister as priests to me. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish, an unleavened bread, and unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers spread with oil, and you shall make them of fine wheat flour. And you shall put them in one basket and present them in the basket along with the bull and the two rams. And you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the doorway of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. And you shall take the garments and put them on Aaron, the tunic, the robe, the ephod, and the ephod and the breast of, and the breastplate. And gird him with a skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set a turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. Then you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. And you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them. And you shall gird them with the, with the sashes, Aaron and his sons, and bind caps on them. And they shall have the priesthood by perpetual statute so that you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Why, oh why, did God choose Aaron and his sons? Remember I talked about last week what Aaron was actually doing while this command was given? He was making a golden calf. And he was telling people, what they needed to make the golden calf. I know in the, in the movie, The Ten Commandments, it's kind of like he's forced into it, and he's like cringing every time, every hammer. No, 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 no. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. It says that he told the people. He commanded the people. He stepped up. He was like Alexander Haig. You remember that guy? He stepped up and says, I'm President of the United States. 
<laughs> when there was like this thing going on. And, and he stepped in and said, no, I'm going to make the rules. Now. No, you're not going to. And that's what Aaron did. He stepped up and said, okay, I'm going to be Moses now. Let me command you what to do. Bring all your earrings and all your gold stuff and bring it to me. I'm going to melt it down, and then I'm going to fasten this. And then he made the golden calf, and then he said, this. He made a proclamation. This is the God who brought you out of Egypt. He actually said those words in chapter 32. This is the God that brought you out. Why would God choose them? Later on, we find that two of his sons burned strange fire before God. They didn't follow the program. They didn't follow exactly what God said, and they put some weird incense in there that they weren't supposed to put, and God's fire came down and burned them up, took them out, because they didn't do what was holy to the Lord, because they were made holy. How can something that is holy do unholy things? Are you guys looking in the mirror right now? I know I am. How can we who are holy be doing, thinking, and saying unholy things? Aaron is called to come before the tent of meeting with his sons. And here it begins with washing them. He says the images on the verse here are holy characteristics that are associated with a holy God, okay? They're going to take a young bull and two rams without blemish. The word for blemish is tamin, which is in Hebrew, which is a figurative word that means to be morally whole. Morally whole, to be, to be clean in integrity, without a blemish, complete, full, perfect. That's what that word means. So you're bringing a bull and the two rams that are perfect. There's not a blemish on them. They're healthy, they're good, they're ready to go, they're undefiled, they're sound. This is an image that is a gift to the perfect God. He expects a perfect gift. You know, you don't, when, you, when you have someone of authority over your life, I know some of us, we... At uh, Christmas time, sometimes we have to give gifts to our bosses, whatever, or sometimes we just do it because we, you know, want a promotion or whatever. <laughs> but I remember giving a gift to my pastor, who's a golfer, and I, had to, I, I purposely found out his favorite golf ball, and it was an expensive golf ball. Yeah. I could have went down to the driving range and bought 800 used, pitted, not-to-be-hit-ever-again golf balls that they sell all the time there and gave them a quantity of these balls and say, here you go, Pastor, you're the man. It's like buying the President of the United States something from the 99-cent store. I know some of us would like that, but anyway, just... No, you don't do that. That shows no value of the person that you're giving the gift to. And here we have a perfect God that is even telling them the kind of gift he needs or wants to now set apart 
Aaron and his sons to serve him in that perfect place which he designed, which he told Moses how to build. All of that he wants done a certain way. And you know what? We're all a little bit like that. We all have our traditions. We have our morning rituals. We have our certain way of doing things. We have our lattes made a certain way. If we can't have it that way, it ruins our day. You know? I was all mad at Starbucks just the other day. It was, no, it was a different Starbucks, but I was still mad at them. Because I went in with my $2.25 to give me a grande, and they raised their price. It was $2.45. Exactly. My head was waving, you know. I was, I was like, what? I was mad. And then the other day, I go to another Starbucks with my $2.45, and they only charge you $2.25. It's like, hey. Either someone knows who I am or someone doesn't know who I am. We have these rituals. We have these things that we, are supposed, we do in our own life. And, and we expect that God doesn't. No, God does. That's why heaven is going to be so perfect. Because we all are going to be on the same page. God's page. It's all his way. And we're going to love it. We're going to, we're going to just enjoy it to, to beyond what words can say. So we have a perfect, righteous God, without fault, without blemish, undefiled. Psalm 145, 17, 18 says this, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. Let me read that again. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. Which ways? And holy in all his works. Which works? The Lord is close to those who call upon him and to all who call upon him in truth. To who that calls upon him? All. Isn't that awesome? He is righteous and holy in everything that he does, in everything that he makes, in everything that he regenerates. It is holy and perfect. Look in the mirror again. Don't believe the lie of Satan in your life, that you are unholy and imperfect. Because you're not. Your body is, the tent is, the tent is worn down. Some of us are putting all kinds of lotions on our tents, <laughs> making it look better, getting that retinol in there. Got a crinkle in my tent. Okay? Got, <laughs> we all got some, we got stains on the tent. We got all kinds of stuff on the tent. Some of our goat hair in the tent's kind of falling off. I understand that. <laughs> but that's our tent. It's not the outside of the tent that really matters. It's what's going on on the inside of the tent. Is there a holy of holies inside the tent? Is there a mercy seat inside of the tent? Is there good and perfect things inside the tent? Yeah, there is. Because you know who's inside the tent? Jesus. Jesus is in the tent. And if Jesus is in the tent, the tent's good. I don't care how frayed and tattered and stuff the outside is. From the inside, it's vibrant and full and full of the presence of God. Because we're going to find here, we're going to find out in a minute, that the inside of this tent is nasty. 
don't get me wrong here, physically, because of what's going to happen in just a few minutes. But through that nasty look, great power happens. Our lives are nasty sometimes on the inside. We have thoughts, we have intentions, our heart sometimes is not right. And it tells our flesh what to do. In fact, the Apostle Paul says the heart is desperately wicked. It's wicked. Who can understand it? Our heart wants us to do things that are not godly. You know? Our heart wants us to carry out things that aren't right. That's why we can be having a perfect morning and then something happens on the freeway and we want to become an axe murderer. Some of us want to have, you know, like one of those, one of those uh, trucks that they have over in the Middle East that have a big bazooka on the top. I'll show you a diamond lane. Just instantaneously like that. Why? Because the heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Romans 11, 33, 36 say this. Oh, the depths of riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who was first given to him? And it shall be recompensed to him back again. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What he's saying there is, who was around before God was? Who told God how to do stuff? Nobody. Nobody. It's hard for us to conceive of something that has no start. We can conceive something that has no end. But we have a tough time. You know, who came first, the chicken or the egg? Chicken has to come from an egg. Yeah, but God is. That's what blows our mind. That's when we start blowing gaskets. You know, and that's exactly what he's saying. You know, don't, don't, there, he just is. There was no one to counsel him. There was no one to come before him. He is the end all. He is the prime mover. He is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. And so we strive to continually know this characteristic about God and to know him. So to begin with, we have to understand that the first characteristic is to really know God and his characteristics. Got to know God. And so he picks Aaron because Aaron was with Moses side by side through it all. In fact, he was the one speaking the oracles of God as Moses would stutter them to Aaron. It was Aaron that made the proclamations. It was Aaron that told the people of all these things we've been reading about. It was Aaron that read the law to the people. It's going to be Aaron who's going to go in and out of the temple, even though Moses gets to go in and out of the tent of meeting as well. But it's Aaron who is the proclamator. So he knows. He knows the word of God because it's directly given from God to Moses to him. Wow. So we need to draw near to him, to look to him. And he's been separated out for that purpose. 
Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of congregation, and you shall wash them with water. Aaron and his sons were to be washed with water and able to start the process of temple worship, to start the process of ministering to God. Does that sound familiar to you? What do we know about Jesus and his ministry before he gets to the Jordan River? You know he was born, and you know at the age of 12, he was in the temple. What else do you know? We know that he was grow up and had favor and before God and men. Before, before that, before his baptism, what ministry did Jesus do? The carpentry. <laughs> that was his job. That was his job, and he did good work. Can you imagine how much a chair would be worth of Jesus today? Maybe not. I don't know. I'm just, just having a thought. So, but when he gets baptized, he says something to John, the, the, the baptizer. He says, when John comes to him and says, I need to be baptized by you. He says, no. He says, baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. Baptism by John was for what? For the remission, not for the forgiveness, but for repentance. He was, he was baptizing people to repent of their sin. Jesus had no sin to be repentant of. So therefore, that's not why he was being baptized. He was being baptized right here. Because before he could be the high priest over the children of Israel, over all people, he had to be baptized to be in service to God. That's the truth. That's the truth. So we have a high priest now. In fact, in Hebrews it even says so. We have a high priest that is pure, that has been washed, if you will, because it's right after that that the dove comes down. This washing, the cleansing that we can now be filled with also has come upon us. Why do we baptize people? To save them? No. The blood of Jesus saves them. The decision to receive saves them. But it is a symbolic act that you are no longer who you were, but you have now been resurrected because you're, the water is death. And you go under the water to come up different, to come up alive. The water is the tomb. The water doesn't, physic, doesn't, doesn't cleanse you spiritually at all. It can do a good job on your, on your skin, but it's not going to do anything for your insides, for your spirit. But the process reminds us of the process that Jesus went through when he died on the cross and was buried and rose again on the third day. We connect with him on that. And so we have been set free. Verses, uh, John, 1 John 1-9 through 9, 1, 9 says this, If we confess, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Revelation 1-5, And from Jesus, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the king of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins with his own blood. The priests had to come before the temple at the door 
before the cab to go in and be washed to start their ministry. And I don't know if you noticed it, they didn't put on the clothing on Aaron till after he was washed. How embarrassing. Are you getting what I'm throwing down here? What was he wearing before he stepped in front of the door of the meeting? What was he wearing? No. Nope. His birthday suit. Because when we read the garments from last week, he had a linen ephod, the first thing that he put on, which was his undergarment. And then he had all the other stuff that got piled on on top of that. So each thing, that God had to cleanse him from the inside, if you will, first before he could start putting on his ministry garb. Hello? Are you eating my sandwich? Do you get that? For those of you who have been born again, you have been cleansed. You have been washed with the water of the Word, it says. You've been washed by the blood of Jesus like I just read. You've been set free. You're clean. For what? To put on your holy garb. To get ready to minister. To get ready to do for the Lord. You just don't stand there naked. Remember what I said about Mark Twain? Naked people have no purpose. They don't change the world. You know? Remember that whole thing during the 70s? The streakers? They didn't change anything. They didn't change football games. They didn't change baseball games. They didn't change anything. In fact, after a while, they just quit even showing them. So we are called to change it, but we've got to put on the holy garb. The clothing that was provided by God himself. I don't wake up in the morning and go, what should I wear today? I know it probably looks like that. I don't do that. I know some of you might. I ask myself this question, Lord, how can I wear you today? It's a different way of asking. It's a different clothing to wear. Because I know I'm a priest. I, I know I've been set apart. I know I've got a, a certain clothing I have to wear. And I can't wear hatred. I can't wear bitterness. I can't wear anger. I can't wear falsehood. I can't wear those things. It destroys my testimony when I wear those things. And every now and then, I go back and I put it on. After I've worn all the garb, peace, joy, happiness, compassion, kindness, all the stuff, the gifts of the Spirit, when I wear all that garb, then I'm effective. And when I'm effective, that's awesome. But when I try to sneak in some of the old clothing, no sirve. And no worky, no good. Because that old stuff is decaying and it's bad and it smells because it's not washed. Your old self isn't washed. I don't know how many days you can go without washing and still be around human beings. We've got to wash. It's necessary for the priest to have daily washing 
at the laver, which is the place where they put this big thing out and put water in it, clean water, purified water, if you will, and then wash the priest in before they go in. And later on, when they had the temple in Jerusalem, they had a bath just right inside the Holy of Holies that the priest would go and wash himself before he went in and did ministry before the mercy seat. And then they took some anointing oil and they poured it on his head and anointed him. Brand new clothes with oil on them. Brand new turban, all oiled up. What was that about? The second thing we need to understand that we need to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. Oil in the Old Testament has always represented the Holy Spirit. Oil in the New Testament represents the Holy Spirit. God uses that. Why? Because the Holy Spirit does a couple of things that oil does. For some of you with the whole natural oils, it heals. It does has, has healing properties. Okay? Secondly, it has an aroma. And oil stays a lot longer on you than spray, that un unoiled sprays, because they give off, you know, they go away after a while. Oil doesn't. Oil stays on you as long as the oil's there, as long as it's, it's still moist or viscous, if you will. And so there was an aroma that was supposed to be on the priest that was different than the aroma of the people. To show God's presence was the third thing that oil represented, the presence of God upon a person. And so this fragrance, they, were, they, they, they put upon them to be filled with. The fragrance would fill the temple, would fill the courtyard that they were ministering in. The priest, the high priest, Aaron, and his sons were all anointed with this oil. What's your fragrance today? What is your fragrance today? Are you close to God and you've got the oil of the Holy Spirit in you and it's just fragrant coming out? Or you smell like something else? <laughs> something else is coming out. <laughs> Do you pass the sniff test? That's another way of putting it. And you know, and you know sometimes we get nose blind. You know, they just... There's a commercial about that. We get nose blind to our own scent. And it takes someone else to smell us, to see if we're, yeah, to see if we're ripe or not. <laughs> Either ripe in a bad way or ripe in a good way. How do other people smell you? I know I'm being silly, but it's really truthful. I mean, do you have the fragrance of Jesus Christ? The rose of Sharon? as he was called, there was a fragrance about him that drew people to him. Young and old, male and female, rich and poor. His fragrance was an aroma that was inviting. Is your fragrance inviting? Or is it like vinegar? Is it repelling? Are you like that flower that blooms once every seven years or whatever it is? It like, smells like death. Take the smell test. Ask someone to give a spiritual whiff on you. It's okay. 
The cool thing about it is, before Febreze came around, there was Jesus. <laughs> and he removes the stink of death that is on us. And he gives us the breath of life, which is awesome. The third thing required that we need to understand today is that we need to come before him without our sin. Without our sin. So to be a minister, we find out later. In fact, let's just read a little bit more so I can get the point across to you here. He goes on and says, verse 15, And you shall take one ram, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall slaughter the ram, and shall take its blood and sprinkle it around the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into its pieces and wash its entrails and its legs and put them in its pieces with its head. And you shall offer up smoke in smoke the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a soothing aroma, an offering of fire to the Lord. And you shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall lay hands on the head of the ram. And you shall slaughter the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the lobes of his son's right ears and on the thumbs of their right hands and on their big toes on their right feet and sprinkle the rest of the blood around the altar. Then, or on the altar, then you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and, you sh and, and his sons on his son's garments with him. So he and his garments shall be consecrated as well as his sons and his sons' garments with him. You got all this new clothes and they're putting two things on them that will not wash out. Blood and oil. Blood and oil that will not wash out. Jesus' blood never washes out. His blood on you doesn't come clean. It has to be present in your life. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. I will never leave or forsake you. His blood is permanent. I know some people believe you can lose your salvation. I do not. If you do, let's have a discussion. His blood covers all sin. It's a once and for all opportunity. Now, do people fall off? Do people fall away? Do people get confused? Do people? Yes, they do. But if they sincerely in their heart believed in Jesus Christ at one time in their life, Jesus' covenant with us is that he will save you. He will cleanse you. He will give you eternal life. That's his covenant with you. Now, there's two parts of a covenant. There's a covenant giver and the covenant getter. And how many times, nine times out of ten, when it comes to God and covenants, does he break his covenant? How many times? He never breaks his covenant. How many times do the covenant getters break their covenant? How many times? All the time. 
I have not read in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mike, you can help me out on this one. I have not read where the covenant getters kept the covenant. Whatever. Whatever time that, from, from, from beginning to the book of Revelation, Genesis to Revelation, not one time did they keep the covenant. They couldn't even keep these Ten Commandments while they were being written. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Clink, 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 what's that? What's a golden calf? What part of thou shalt not did you not understand? God keeps his covenant. When he says, and you receive Jesus into your life, and you're saved, you are saved. Now, quit breaking his covenant with you. Because he tells us, go and sin no more. He tells us, well, like I read earlier, you shall be my witnesses. Teaching, baptizing. Okay? What kind of witness are you being? Are you being a witness for yourself? For your own promotion? Are you being a witness for, you know, something other? Maybe your job, your, 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 you know, your sports, your favorite things, whatever, and never witnessing for God? Sorry. You have a job to do. You have a covenant that you've made. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He went from 10 to 2. Yeah, I understand you can't do 10. Can't you just do 2? Sure. Sure we can. But we have to be consecrated and set apart and not put on the old clothing that we grew up in before Jesus to do what he's called us to do. So we have to come before him in his anointing, in his washing of us. He continues on. And he talks about all the stuff that they had to do, but the one last thing I would like to share with you, in verse 26, he continues on and says, and you shall take, or no, I'm sorry, in verse uh, 31, and you shall take the ram of ordination, boil its flesh in its holy place, and Aaron and his son shall eat of the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And thus they shall eat. And he tells us how they're going to eat. And he, talks, he talks about two things here. He talks about a wave offering, and he talks about a heave offering. Oh, yeah, it was back there. Okay. So, verse 26. Then you shall take the breast of Aaron's ram of ordination and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. A wave offering is where they take that leg and that breast piece of the ram, and they go like this. They wave it before the Lord. They say, Lord, this was dedicated to you for our service. And then they would take that wave offering and they would eat it. But you would say, wait a minute. They consecrated it to the Lord. Yes, that's right, they did. And the Lord said, this is your portion. This is what is for you. And then the heave offering was a little bit different. The heave went up and down like this. And they would hold it up. Same concept, that they would use that offering, that piece that was heaved up to the Lord 
for the use of the temple and for its priests. Not for the people, but for the priests. Again, I've been to churches where they make a big deal out of it. Hey, take your tithe and wave it before the Lord. The problem with doing that is that you're not keeping it. You're supposed to just give it. Give your offering. It's, I want to just make a point there because sometimes we read stuff. And, well, what is that? What's a heave and a wave and a heave-ho and a wave-ho? What is all that? You know? It's just a way of offering because it was, came from the ram of ordination. It came from the ram that was killed specifically to ordain Aaron and his sons to be their priests for the people. And one final thing. Did you notice that as we read, they put their hand on the ram before it was killed? They put their hand on the bull before it was killed? Then the ram was killed? And one, the bull was killed, only the entrails were fired up, and the rest of it was burned outside the camp. To be consecrated, Aaron had to deal with his own sin, and his sons had to deal with their own sin. And so they would lay their hands on that ram for this ordination ceremony, and so their sins were transferred onto that ram, and so it was not only a soothing aroma, meaning that it was a forgiveness that God accepted, but the rest of it was burned outside of the camp, meaning it's refuse, never to be brought back into the camp again. And it tells us that once God himself, Jesus himself, laid his hand upon us, he took upon us our sin, and then he took upon himself our sin, and he died on the cross, and he was killed, guess where? Outside the city. Your sins are dealt with. Let me encourage you to not go back to them. I know it's hard because we're people. We have this, this stuff on us called flesh. And it wants what it wants when it wants it. And we have to battle. We have to make it our slave, as Paul said. We have to buffet, not buffet, our body. And make it our slave. Battle. We go to battle every day. Not only from without, but from within. But greater is he who is within you than he who is in the world. I hope you grow in these characteristics of God. I hope you understand that as we look at these sacrifices and stuff, yeah, it was for them the first time and before the temple was even built and all that, this was their ordination, if you will. But you have been ordained by the King of kings and the Lord of lords to be his minister, to minister unto him who called you. And if you're not doing that, you're standing in front of the tent naked. You're not all the way there yet. Maybe you've been washed with the word, but you're naked. You ain't doing anything. You've got to put on the clothing. You've got to put on the gear. And once you put on the gear, you can't just stand there. Now you've got to start doing. And so you don't, if you don't know what that doing is, talk to me. I can help you. I can get you involved. I can get you connected. Or talk to another ministry leader here. You know, we all kind of know who we are. You can talk to Frank. You can talk to Marty. You can talk to Bob. They know everybody. And they'll get you hooked up. But time to do. Because we have been set free to do. 
So let's do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, Father, I come before you and I thank you, Lord, that you have set us apart to be your ministers, Lord. Jesus, you, you are the lamb that was slain for us. You are the one who gave us the authority to go from outside the temple into the temple, outside at the court into the holy place, and then ultimately into the holy of holies where your mercy seat was, where your altar of incense were, where, where Father, you came and lapped up the sacrifice where your presence was. You've allowed us now because of the death of Jesus, rending that curtain in two that kept us separate from you has now been a highway for us to go through. Lord, thank you so much for your sacrifice for us. And Lord, even now, I pray for someone here in this room that maybe did not know that they have been set free. Maybe did not know that you and your blood has given them new life. And they want to receive that life. They want to be, if you will, baptized with the water of your word today. Saved by your blood as they transfer their sins to you. As every eye is closed and head is bowed, if that's you this morning, you want to receive Jesus. You want to ask him in to cleanse you from your sin. I want you just to look at me right now so I can pray with you and for you. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. There may be some of you here this morning that you need prayer for putting on your holy garb. Maybe you haven't put it on here yet. And yeah, you're saved and you've been washed, but you're not doing. And if you'd like to make a commitment today to begin the process of putting on your garb to minister, I'd love to help you with that, but it begins with prayer. It begins with really asking God to show you what you're called to do. If that's you, just kind of raise your hand up so I can see you. Amen, I see that. Put your hand down after you raise it. Anyone else? Okay. There's so much to do. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for those who raise their hand even now. And Father, I pray that you would grant them the desires of their heart to know your will, to know your purpose to be called a minister of the kingdom of God, to put on the holy vestments that you have created for them since the beginning of the world, to wear, Father, so that they can then minister for you in this world in an effective, righteous, and holy way. Lord, thank you for those who are already involved in ministry. They put on the garb, and they're, they're, they're in the trenches. They have the oil poured upon them, Lord, and the blood of the Lamb all over them. And they are witnesses, living witnesses for your kingdom. May you help them to have a fragrant aroma in this world. I pray you bless them and keep them, watch over them, Lord. Make them uh, just so effective for you. Continue to have your presence in and through them and move them forward. Lord, we thank you for this morning and what you're doing in us. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's spend some time worshiping God in freedom.